Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of modern pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Neto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Neto. Welcome to a new episode of Mod Pass Chat. My guests today are Dr. Claire Verrill and Mr. Andrea Chatrian. They are joining us from the University of Oxford in England. Dr. Verrill is an associate professor of pathology and an honorary consultant in neurologic pathology at Oxford. Her research focuses on digital pathology and artificial intelligence. The audience uh, will be interested to know that Oxford hospitals recently achieved the important milestone of digitizing all their surgical pathology workloads. So I guess they went live with this. This is one of the first few laboratories uh, in the UK to do so. Dr. Verrill and Mr. Shatrian will be discussing with us the, the recent work in modern pathology publishing Modern Pathology on Artificial Intelligence for Advanced Requesting of IHC in Diagnostically uh, Ambiguous Prostate Biopsy, I guess. They are representing all the co-authors, but in particular, joint first author, Dr. Colling, and joint senior author, Professor Richard. Thank you both for accepting my invitation. Thank, thank you so much for the invitation. We're absolutely delighted to be invited, so thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, Andrea. Uh, I can't believe how young the first authors are getting, uh, but uh, that's that's awesome. So uh, let's start with uh, with the background. The usual question, I guess, in this in this case, uh, is somewhat obvious. Uh, the title gives it away. So, what led you to do the study, and what did you uh, hoping it will find? Yeah, thanks. So, so Oxford is part of the um, Pathlake Digital Pathology Consortium, and that's one of the UK government's AI centres of excellence, of which there are five. Um, and our exemplar project is prostate, and, and one of the aims of Pathlake is to build AI algorithms. And so, so we, ha we held a meeting between the wider group of pathologists and engineers and decided this was something we could do um, you know, that was tangible and would have a concrete output and, and would be usable. Um, and so we set out to build an AI tool that could um, request immunohistochemistry before a pathologist has even seen the case. Um, and we believe that this would remove um, you know, time within the workflow. Um, from our studies, we found that it took two days for a pathologist to get to the H&Es to, to request immunohistochemistry. That's, that's sort of wasted time. And then there's duplication of effort. 
you know, um, when a pathologist has to review a case more than once, you know, the second time um, you're re-familiarising yourself with the case, you know, and, and, and again, there's there's duplication of effort and wasted time there. So, um, yeah, so that's what we wanted to build a tool that could recognise that a case needed immunohistochemistry because, because it was ambiguous um, and we could request it up front. So you say in the UK, the pathologist takes two days to even look at the slides? I'm, I'm just joking. That's from the time the slides are ready or...? Uh, yeah, from the, the uh, uh, from the time it's booked into the department, I believe, um, ah, okay. to, to the person so looking at the case. So that's, uh, that's that, that's, that, those are just our figures that, that we found from our study. All right, uh, great. So uh, so let's let's move on. Uh, clearly, that's that's a very important topic to address, and uh, and hopefully that's the promise of AI uh, rather than taking away our job, facilitating our job as pathologists. Uh, so this is a great example where it can make it lean and efficient. So can uh, maybe Andrea can can pick up this uh, and tell us a little bit about the design, all these algorithms, names, what is it, the gradient, boosted tree classification, all these things that pathologists are afraid of. Can can you simplify it for us? How did you do it? Yeah. So um, basically, um, in order to fully um, capture all the differences in um, morphology that you, you can find on histology slides, uh, we need an algorithm that can um, mimic basically the eye of the pathologist and um, recognize uh, parts of the slides that um, would normally be hard um, to confidently diagnose uh, from the, the simple h and &E staying. So there's this new um, class of uh, algorithms which have um, attracted a lot of uh, attention lately, which is deep neural networks, um, which seem to um, be able to do this and to really um, extract uh, the important information from the image that uh, um, similar to how a human being um, usually uh, is capable of doing and then learning to make uh, simple decisions like, for example, um, these binary decisions or deciding whether um, um, some epithelial structure has a um, like well-recognizable um, morphology or not. So, so atypical um, or not, basically, is it exactly. difficult to that? And so, and and then also, it it you train it how to uh, to differentiate between a case where because it's not just. Some atypicals, we can diagnose them as cancer, right? If the features are enough. So it's focusing on the really borderline lesion. The AI, the deep network could do that. Huh? Yeah, so the, the, the AI is um, trained on um, annotations um, that uh, basically we gathered over the six-month period um, by uh, Claire and uh, Richard and our other collaborator, Lisa. So it and basically it replicates the, di the diagnostic procedure that um, goes on uh, in the hospital. So whatever the whole function of it is based on what um, the pathologists would like to try and mimic um, pathologists. Expertise. So, so the training set, if I understand, was 219 biopsies or cases, and uh, and all these were annotated by one pathologist or more than one pathologist when you developed the algorithm. Um, so, uh, basically, um, these slides uh, were collected prospectively in the hospital, so are actually um, yeah, cases that are being um, diagnosed um, during the clinical activity by three different pathologists. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, so that um, guarantees that we have 
some mixture of opinion on um, in the training set, and we're not basing the whole algorithm on uh, basically one pathologist um, um, decisions, which might be uh, biased and. Uh, Correct. And, and, and I think that uh, we can tackle that question now. I mean, because there is a difference between what, uh, a, you know, depending on the training, depending on the subspecialization, stage of your career, uh, how, uh, how experienced, how, how much you need IHC. So, so I'm, I'm glad to see that this uh, was trying to cover as much as possible the spectrum of these variations among pathologists need for uh, ancillary study. Correct. I think that's important. And, and also, also just to add, so the three pathologists covered a, a range of sort of experience um, so that, you know, so we tried to take that that into account because you're right. There are so many more factors at work uh, when making the decision to request immunohistochemistry than, than it simply being a yes or no decision. You know, there's Correct. personality factors, as you say, experience, so, so many things at work there. If you're having a bad day, also. Yeah, computer. So, <laughs> it's like so what time of the day it is. I guess the computer the doesn't have a bad day. So that, that's <laughs> well, uh, wonderful. So so may I ask those those three were urologic pathologists or somewhere general pathologists or how, how do yeah. they work? No, all three specialist urological pathologists. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so, so myself, Dr. Colling, the joint first author, and, and Dr. Lisa Browning, um, who's an extremely experienced urological pathologist. So, yeah, it was the three of us and, and yeah. Um, I, I knew the name, the this, but but I wanted the audience to know. All right, wonderful. So uh, so then uh, so Andrea, let's uh, so so you trained the system, and then you did uh, what is it, two hundred, uh, another two twenty two cases, and uh, and how well did your algorithm do? Um, so um, yeah, the first evaluation was done using cross validation on the on the slides that were collected in the hospital and that um, performed actually uh, really well. So it seems that on that data set, the algorithm um, was able to recognize, to predict um, which slides the uh, would require IHC. And, uh, and then uh, we collected 222 uh, slides from a, uh, basically um, from the hospital archive, you know, and um, got, um, uh, and basically, the, our, our three pathologist collaborators annotated uh, each one of the slides. So the reason we did this is because we wanted to um, compare basically um, the pathologist annotation and then um, give an idea to, to the readers of um, how basically the algorithm, um, what decisions the algorithm makes and how those uh, uh, a difference with respect to each individual pathologist decision. So all three pathologists, each one of them looked at, at the case, at the focus, without knowing, of course, what the AI... Yes, blinded yeah. to... Exactly. All right. All right. And um, um, so uh, here then, just in order to characterize basically the performance of the network, um, we averaged um, the accuracy obtained with respect to uh, each individual pathologist. And this is uh, is lower, so it's uh, the accuracy is eighty one percent, which reflects the fact that there are inherent disagreements on um, basically some of a subset of the of the slides. Um, I see. So the AI performed less, even of the average of the three pathologists. Is that in terms of accuracy? If you consider. What was the golden truth? I mean, if the three pathologists are different, 
how how do you test your AI? Yeah, I think this is a, it's a very interesting question um, because there is a subjective uh, component to um, IHC, as you just mentioned. And um, the, the ground truth is formed by opinions um, of different experts. So um, basically what uh, we can say is that the algorithm is able to uh, match uh, basically the consensus on those cases where uh, pathologists agrees uh, okay. with a high degree of um, accuracy. Excellent. Um, Thank you. Very uh, good job clarifying this. So I guess, uh, Claire, you can uh, tackle next. Uh, so what were the results? I mean, from a practical point, how did how is it change? You expected to change our practice? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so we, we proved the concept that you know that we had a tool that could could make that decision that you know a case couldn't be signed out in H and E and could make the immunohistochemistry request. Um, and as Andrea was just saying, um, in the validation phase, we found that the the AI sort of replicated some some of the pathologists better than the others. So just reflecting that inherent sort of subjectivity in the decision. And we know, don't we, with, with anything like where, where there's a decision to be made, even things like Gleason grading, that there will be variations between between pathologists. But um, yeah, but the, the, I think the, the tool performance is good. And um, the, the question is where we go next with it. Um, and um, so we... You save um, some time. I guess the findings was that you saved, you're mentioning minutes How yeah. per case. Yeah, so we in the workflow um, audits that we did, we we found basically that immunohistochemistry requested cases took twice as long to report the non-immunohistochemistry requested cases. So, um, so seventeen point nine minutes versus thirty three point four. So that's the the sort of individual time that could be saved on a case. Um, and also the immunohistochemistry requested cases um, took one to three days longer than the ones that didn't have immunohistochemistry. So these are all the bits of time that we believe that this tool, um, you know, maybe. Yeah, I think save. the latter is extremely significant, right? If if by yeah. the time I get to the case, uh, I can I already have and not have to wait twenty four. That's great for the patient and. So well, that's, that's, that's it's, it's all about having everything you need in one sitting to, to make that decision so that you're not sort of because otherwise you're making two sets of decisions, you know, to request immunohistochemistry um, and then what the final decision is. So we're trying to streamline the workflow and, and make it leaner so that you know that happens in, in one sitting. But obviously we've we've only tested it sort of on our on our cases and it, we'd have to see how it performed sort of more widely. But um, yeah, that, that, that's some sort of indication of how we think it might perform. And 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 all uh, you know, without any bias uh, for for the system for the algorithms that you developed, you feel. I guess my fear in things like that is is if I let it to the AI that we're going to overorder immunohistochemistry, and by the time did any of the pathologists feel, you know, looking at the IRC that hey, I didn't even need this. This was so obvious. How I'm sure it's going to vary among pathologists, but but you you see what I'm getting at? Are we mm. in this time where we have to be very conservative with resources, especially in England? I imagine. Uh, do we? Is it going to overorder? Or I'm okay if it's under order because you can always. Yeah, so, so it's a really um, good point. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so we 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 considered this really carefully, and and um, um, what we came up with was setting three sort of thresholds whereby we would look at the tool, the tool performing at different levels, um, and perhaps you know laboratories, um, if we can establish the regulatory framework, could set it to to how they you know to so that it did an acceptable amount of overordering versus a. Uh, wow. um, 
Yeah. Um, so it's possible, Andrea, to tweak. Like if, if let's say you develop this and and like other companies, hopefully you, you, you start selling it. Is it possible for an individual lab to set their threshold to be stringent, yeah. uh, less order or more order? Yeah, basically, um, um, whenever um, we design this kind of um, um, algorithm of trying to make a binary decision, we can look at the... Um, receiver operating curve um, and which uh, compares basically uh, different uh, thresholds of performance for the mm -hmm. algorithm. So depending on how we set the threshold, we're going to have a different number of uh, um, true positives and but uh, false positives as well. So there is this trade-off that um, and um, so um, I guess you, so. You're worried with uh, overordering corresponds uh, to the number of to the number of false positives in this case that we have. Right. And uh, so, if we want to be very conservative, uh, for example, our most conservative uh, point um, set uh, in that case, we would have uh, an uh, overordering percentage of around fifteen percent. Fifteen. Yeah. That's, so that's not that bad. All right. And. Uh, that comes of the cost uh, of specificity. Um, so basically, the true positive rate would be 65% uh, in that case. So the algorithm loses the ability to pick up some of the cases. But luckily, for this particular algorithm, that doesn't result in a dangerous. Um, oh, um, yeah. Activity. You're back to where you started uh, without the algorithm, which is to order it at that time. So it's not a big deal that, that this is wonderful. Uh, but I think there is an inherent element here of diagnostic assistance, right? Because in a way, the, the program that your the AI algorithm is telling you this is an atypical focus. So I wonder how that also uh, could be. I, I guess it's a different, it needs a different study, but, but that's what's based on, right? We're hoping that it's, you start coming and you see the images of the atypical foci that's already in some programs on the market are, are, are heading that way, right? Yeah, and no, it's an interesting question. Yeah, so we, yeah, so we're we're aware there are there are solutions on the market, and we we wanted to do something dis distinct from that, and um, hence sort of deliberately targeting ambiguous areas for, for the immunohistochemistry. But you're right; it may flag atypical or you know various small areas of cancer to a pathologist. But that that's that wasn't our sort of primary focus when we built the tool. Wonderful. Maybe uh, the next uh, project. So what's next? The next project maybe do both, right? Yeah, should I do this one, Andre? Yeah, so so uh, so it's exciting, um, and, but we have some open questions, I think, which is where we would, we would want to answer those next. Um, so I think we'd like to see this working in a you know in a in a workflow, um, and and the sort of open questions that we have are you know um, is there any bias in the data, or um, you know it, will it be um, do we need more data? Will it be generalizable um, in a setting? Um, you know, how will it perform in a prospective workflow? Will, will we need to validate it further? Um, um, and also, um, you know, how will others make use of this? To a certain extent, where we go next depends on how much interest there is from the field in, in this tool. So yeah, those are the kinds of things we'd like to answer to sort of work out where we're going next with this, I think. Wonderful. I'll, uh, 
still some work to do, but this is extremely promising. Uh, I was uh, really uh, glad uh, to read this paper and that you submitted it to ModPath. And uh, it's uh, it's a great example of uh, what to look forward with AI help and smart engineers like uh, Andrea and, and others on the paper helping us uh, with these difficult decisions. Well, it's very I, generous. <laughs> I, I appreciate the opportunity and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I uh, hope to uh, continue receiving uh, great studies from you, not only on AI, and uh, thank you very much for your time. Great, thank you very much for the invitation. Really enjoyed chatting about the paper, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of Modern Pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.